ladies. I'm happy to see that you returned. Figured there'd be a lot of bass in the room this morning. One young lady just said, you know, I'm kind of nervous. So I was, I was really happy that you gave it to the guys last night. Then I just realized, it's our turn. I'll be gentle. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us to wander aimlessly in the dark, hoping that we've figured it out but that you have provided and preserved and protected for us your, your self-revelation in the Bible so that we can know who you are and who we are and what it means for us to be reconciled to you. I pray that you would grant us wisdom and humility to hear and to heed your word. I pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, last time we were together, we looked at this picture of biblical manhood and this, this, this very basic picture of these minimum baseline requirements for biblical manhood. Today we want to look at this picture of biblical womanhood. And the place I want to do that is in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 is one of those places where it's a very familiar passage of Scripture, but the address is more familiar than the passage itself. And by that, what I mean is, we use the phrase Titus 2 all the time. Rarely, however, do we read the passage to which we're referring. Most people are very familiar with the phrase Titus 2. Very familiar with it. Not at all familiar with, or at all committed to, the principles therein taught. In fact, this is one of those, you know, the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. I believe that's true also when it comes to Scripture. When we become so familiar with passages of Scripture or verses of Scripture, sometimes we show contempt in that we do not actually pay attention to what is said there. Paul talked on um, yesterday evening about this idea of Sunday school ministry and this idea of youth group ministry and some of these things that we do in our church that are actually, absolutely not from Scripture, but they are from the culture. And it's ironic. You know, we talked about the Sunday school ministry and early on in Chicago and, and, and how it, that happened here in Chicago. But before it was here in America, it was actually in England. And actually in England, Sunday school ministry started not just to minister to and disciple, you know, lost kids, but remember, this is before child labor laws. So small children were working in factories because they had smaller hands and could do things with, you know, these, these smaller pieces of material. They weren't going to school. They weren't being educated at all in any way, some of them. And again, especially in the lower classes. So the Sunday school movement in its origins in England, even before it was here in America, was designed to make these kids literate. It was literally school on Sunday because they weren't working on Sunday so they could go to school on Sunday and use the Bible to teach these kids and make them literate. Now there have been two complaints about the Sunday school movement, even from its inception, from its origin. Complaint number one is, if we do this, eventually we will make it available to Christian kids. That was argument number one against it. If we do this and commit to this, we will make it available to Christian kids. Argument number two is when we begin to make this available in the church, 
families will stop catechizing their children. That was the argument. And people screamed from the rooftops, if we make this available in the church, families will stop catechizing their children at home. Now, if you want to know how true that is, all you have to do is realize that 90% of the people in the room are now looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate, going, should I be embarrassed that I don't know what catechizing is? That's how true their fears came. We don't even know what it means for somebody to be catechized, okay? We, we don't even get it. We, what, 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 what is that, you know? And then those of you who've heard the word, you go, I thought that was like a Catholic thing. Nothing could be further from the truth. Is that something that's present in Catholicism? Yes, but the reformers uh, really paved the way in the area of catechism. Catechism is learning doctrine or theology through a series of questions and answers, okay? That's, that's what catechism is. We'll talk some more about that here in a little bit. But, and so basically this, that, that was the idea. That was a big problem. The youth ministry movement sort of followed along the same lines. The Sunday school movement It's actually even newer than the Sunday school movement, more recent. The youth ministry movement as we know it uh, has its origins in the Jesus movement in the late 60s, early 70s. And so what we now know as youth ministry does not at all come from Scripture, does not at all come from the life of Christ, does not at all come from the epistles, does not at all come from the teaching of the early church. Um, it, it is a modern American construct. And so having a conversation, and to come back to what we're talking about here, familiarity breeding contempt, and that's not understanding what passages of Scripture are about, uh, I had a conversation with a guy who knew what my position was on this whole very concept of, you know, age-segregated ministry within the church. By the way, the idea of segregating people by age, again, not a biblical construct. The idea that you have a class for people in this age and a class for people in that age that we do now in our Sunday school movement, not a biblical construct at all. Where does that come from? Well, that comes from the modern education movement. Well, where does the modern education movement get it from? Darwinian evolution. Yes, the idea of age segregation has its roots in Darwinian evolution. So the fact that we have age-graded ministries in our church is not only not biblical, it's actually Darwinian. Now you go run and tell that. It's Darwinian, okay? And so well, I'm having this conversation with this guy about this, and he's well, you know, you guys are doing this with your children, and you're doing this with your family, and you're doing this in your home. Don't you feel like, you know, your kids need to be in the youth group so that, so that they can be influencers and kind of, you know, Titus II leaders in that group? I said, bro, you scare me. What do you mean? Because this guy was a state leader of youth ministries for a particular state in the South. And I say, you scare me that you say that I ought to, you know, put my children and specifically my older children who are of that age into the youth ministry so that they can have a Titus II influence. He goes, well, why? What's wrong with that? He said, Titus II influencers are married women and men. Someone who's not married and doesn't have children doesn't fit the Titus II model. Amen, lights. Titus 2 is not about somebody 
who has more age than another person teaching them things that come with age. No. That's not what Titus 2 is about. And we'll see that as we look here in this text at a picture of biblical womanhood. And again, familiarity has bred contempt here as it relates to this passage of Scripture. Look with me beginning at verse 3. Specifically talking about women here. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. That's what we're asking older girls in the youth group to do for younger girls. Give me a break. They can't do that. They can't do that. So again, we use the phrase, Titus 2 ministry, but we absolutely divorce it from the passage that it identifies. You can't get there from here. This is not about older college girls and younger college girls. That's not what this is about. This is not about older college men and younger college men. This is about individuals who have proven themselves as wives and mothers, instructing those who have yet to prove themselves in those areas. That's what Titus 2 is about. Okay? That's what Titus 2 is about. And we see here a picture of biblical womanhood, both in what is required of the older women and in what the older women are required to teach the younger women. All right? So I want us to put all of these things together to give us a picture of biblical womanhood. Look here, beginning verse 3. Older women likewise are to, first of all, be reverent in their behavior. That's number one. Biblical womanhood is reverent in behavior. First and foremost, it is reverent in behavior. What, what does that mean, to be reverent in behavior? It means to be appropriate in behavior. It means to be meek in behavior. A meek and quiet spirit, as Peter would say. That's what it means. It means that you are not boisterous. It means that you do not draw attention to yourself. It means that even in your manner of dress, you are doing everything you can to demonstrate propriety. That's reverence. That's reverence. Reverence means you conduct yourself in such a way that your goal is to bring honor to God and not attention to yourself. Reverent in their behavior. And so, yesterday the ladies got to be my daughters. Today, men, you get to be my sons. And I'm going to talk to you like I talk to my sons about what it is we're looking for, okay? Amen? And the first thing I want to tell you is this. Don't come to me with an irreverent woman. Don't do it. If she's loud and obnoxious, she doesn't qualify. If she draws attention to herself, she doesn't qualify. We're looking for a meek and quiet spirit. That's what we're looking for. If she is, again, does that mean that she can't have personality? Absolutely that's not what we're talking about here. But 
that must be reverent. It must be under control. It must be bridled. She must be reverent in her behavior. We're not talking. Forget bringing a loose woman home. That's way out of the question. We're going even beyond that here.